Hey, my name is Brian Golden. I'm the lead pastor of Centerpoint Church. And I just want to personally thank you for listening to our podcast. And I also want to invite you wherever you are around the country or in the Tampa Bay area to join our digital online campus at centerpointfl.org. And here's what you need to know. Our vision is to create an alternative to church as usual for all people. And all that means is, regardless of whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus, you're new to faith, you're investigating faith, or you don't even know what you believe, our goal is for you to feel like you belong, even if you never believe. And so thank you again for listening, and I hope today's message encourages you and helps you. Hey, in two weeks, uh, I started another brand new series called Mind Traps, which I'm excited about. And the whole premise of the series is we have a propensity as human beings to believe lies. And in fact, every bad decision you've made, I would make the case that it was from a lie that you believed. It stemmed from that. And then the huge kind of um, dark side is a lot of times we don't know that we're believing lies. In fact, you can get a decade down the road and realize that some of what you have founded decisions or part of your life on actually wasn't true. So for four weeks, we're going to talk about it in August. Because this is just a human thing, it's a great time to invite. And in fact, August is a great time to invite because that's kind of the new ministry season. People are coming back to church. So um, I think these are out. As you go out, actually, I don't know if you know these are available. Uh, These invite cards are out there. So you can send a text. You can get um, an invite card, but invite somebody to be here for those couple weeks. And one of the things I'll tell you about inviting, which is not the point of my message today, but this whole idea of my church, like one of the things people will talk about over and over again, when they finally get 30 seconds of courage to invite somebody, that was the moment it kind of became personal to them. Like you just view things through a different lens. It becomes more personal when you start inviting somebody to church with you. And so I really want to encourage you on that. And it really is one of the things that makes it all of a sudden kind of more emotional. You have energy behind it. It's not ethereal anymore. Like you're a part. And so I want to talk about that for a few minutes this morning, completely different subject, but two times a year we come around this theme of my church. And basically, how do you move from this just being a church to being your church, to it being personal? Now, here's what I'll tell you. Any area of your life or a lot of areas of your life, when you move from observing something or consuming something to participating in something, something changes. Like if you're a, a parent of a kid, you maybe kind of know this. Like with my kids, whatever they're into generally, with exceptions, I'm into. Like I, I try to go all in. And this summer, the things that both my three boys and my girl are all into is Star Wars. Like all in. Over the top, like they decided at the beginning of the summer they were going to like blow all the way through the Star Wars movies and we're pretty close now. And so it's made up a huge part of our summer. And the thing is, before my kids got into it, I was not a fan. Like I saw them as a kid, I think. I would make fun of people in the early 2000s that were in like chat rooms, you know, um, talking about it. Those of you, God bless you, I'm not making fun of you, that, that go to Comic-Con I don't understand you. So like, and if that's your thing, that's amazing. I just didn't get it. And now that my kids are all into it, like I'm having lightsaber wars till 10 o'clock at night. We're building Lego sets, you know, based off of Star Wars, which, you know, I don't hate. And then the other day, I'm, I like I had to stop myself because I'm in a conversation with my nine-year-old, like passionate conversation. And I just have to stop for a second, because I'm like, I am talking about an imaginary character named Yoda with my nine-year-old, and I'm all in. So, like, but you get that dynamic, right? Like, at some level, it's gotten my time. It's gotten my money, too, because we bought a lot of crap. It's gotten my energy. Like, I'm all in, because my kids were all in. And anything where you move from just, I observed it at a distance and made fun of people, to now I'm participating, and like, I, I'm, I'm there. Like, it's got some of my energy. And um, 
my freshman year of college, a different kind of realm of life, I experienced this. I was tapped to teach a group of about 50 middle schoolers. And I think I was asked simply because there was nobody else to do it. If you've ever been in like, well, you're probably horrible, but we have nobody else. And I was, I was terrible. I'd never done it before. It was not anything on my radar. Um, I was in business school at the time and I was like, okay, I'll, I'll do it. And I did. And man, it ignited something in me. I remember over several days speaking to about 50 some middle schoolers and and all of a sudden, man, we got to the end of these couple of days and about two dozen of them made like really legit decisions to follow Jesus. And I would pray with some of them, hear some of their stories. And um, I, I just, I had observed that thing before. I'd observed that kind of thing, but I'd never experienced it. Like I'd never really been a part of it. In fact, fast forward about 15 years later, out of nowhere, a kid hits me up and he's like, I'm actually a, a student pastor at a church right now. And I was a part of that group. And my life was incredibly influenced. That's where I trusted Christ and everything changed. And what he didn't realize is that in, at some level, like the trajectory of my life had changed. And I had no idea. I just kind of stepped up into an available position that nobody else would do, having no idea what God would do in my life. But I've experienced this time and time again where I've just been willing to step out in some area. And all of a sudden, when observation or consumption move to participation, things are just different. And I think that's true of the local church. I think that's true in terms of, if you're a follower of Jesus, what you've been called into, that when you move from just consuming the benefits or just observing from a distance to actually participating, it's just different. In fact, it's one of the things that will lead you in most cases to move from just it being the church to my church. Like that consumption to participation changes everything. No overstatement, has the power to change your life. And I think if enough people get on board with it, it has the power to change communities. Now I also get this, if you're watching or listening via Unfiltered Radio, you're here today and you're not even really sure why you're here today, but you are and you're like, ah, dude, I'm not even sure if I trust the church. I get that. In fact, everything else I say, you don't have to do a single thing. In fact, you can just sit back and just run through the list of all the arguments you have against the church. And I get all of that. But I just want to say this to you. I'm talking about what Jesus launched in the first century, which may be very different than what you've experienced. I'm talking about a church that is welcoming, accessible to everybody, which we talk about all the time here, which includes you and I don't even know you. I just know the gospel is that big that is the safest place in the world for anybody struggling with anything, and that means you, and I don't know what you're struggling with, or the doubts that you come in with, or the I'm not even sure I believe any of it, and is Jesus really who Jesus says he is? Everybody is invited in. That was actually the message of the church. It's a really wide tent, and so I don't know what you experience, but the church is actually a multicultural, multi-generational, multi-ethnic, doesn't matter how you vote, where you came from, if you never attended church, sexual orientation, how much your baggage from the past decade you have been invited by Jesus. And maybe if you see Jesus according to who he actually is long enough, you might decide he's the son of God. I don't know. I don't know. And I'm not saying you should do that today. I'm just talking about that's what I'm talking about. But over and over again, Jesus has personally, specifically invited us, if you're a follower of Jesus, to participate. In fact, the first time you see this is in John 2, and it's a story that you probably know really well, potentially, if you don't, that's kind of cool, actually. But in John 2, Jesus performs his first miracle. We find out later, actually, it wasn't really a miracle, or that wasn't the point. But when he performs this miracle, he invites other people to participate. And it's the first time, because Jesus could have done everything that Jesus did by himself. He's like, I'm good. 
You guys sit down, enjoy the show. I'll do a few magic tricks for you. And then hopefully you will believe I'm, I actually am who I say I am. But Jesus never did that. And it's the first time that Jesus invites a group of people, and they have a decision whether they're going to take Jesus seriously or not, invites them from consumption and observation to actually participating in creating what God wants to do. And one day, John, is, he's with Jesus, and he sees the launch of this whole thing um, during a night where it was completely unexpected, and John writes the scenario and what happened that on the third day of a wedding that was taking place in Cana in Galilee, who, when Jesus' mother was there, which is an important side note for the, where the story is going, and just real quick pause, Mary's like the you know, party planner. She's the event planner, Instagram influencer. Like, I don't know how into this she was, side hustle, but she's running the entire wedding. She's orchestrating the whole thing. And so the wedding had been taking place the third day. Jesus' mother is there in verse two, and Jesus and his disciples also had been invited to the wedding. Now, just real quick, I don't know what you feel about weddings. Some people love them. Some people not so much. Uh, these are, in this culture, days-long weddings. Like, if you're going to a wedding, you're packing a duffel bag. Like, it's going to be a while. It's a big commitment. It was a huge part of their, you know, socio-cultural context. And so there Jesus and disciples are at the wedding. That's going to be a couple days long. And verse 3, and when the wine was gone. And I don't know how you feel about that either. So you can contextualize that however you want. Maybe you grew up in a context where you're like, well, I don't even think that's wine, the original Greek. I think it's grape juice. That's fine. You just translate it yourself. Others of you are like, man, you're invited to a days-long wedding, and there's nothing to drink the entire time. And so there they are. The wine's gone. And Jesus, I love this. Jesus' mother says to him, they have no more wine. Except I think you need to read in the voice inflection because if you ever planned anything, something that's days long and you promised people an open bar, I think Mary's coming to him more like, we're out of wine. (laughs) And we got a long way to go. And there is no wine. And it's like, there she is. And so she says to him, there's no more wine, which another side note is embarrassing. So if you're planning the whole thing, like that's not what you want to have happen. And there, you know, Jesus is, and I got to imagine Mary, though, like as she's turning to Jesus, she's like, I know nobody else knows this right now. And I know every, you know, mom thinks their kid is special. (laughs) But she's like, I'm telling you, there's something different about this kid. And she's like, I don't know where it's going to end up, but here's all I know as Jesus' mom, that when I get into a crisis, I'm going to tap my very resourceful son. Because I've seen him do things. And so she turns to him and says, hey, we are out of wine. I need you to do something. And I love Jesus' response. (laughs) Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. Because my hour, I think it was a respectful woman, but woman, why do you involve me? Because my hour has not yet come. Basically, mom, mom, mom. I came to save the world, not weddings. I didn't come to keep open bars open. That is not why I came to planet Earth. This is not my moment. This is not my time. Now, just real quick, I understand it's the God of the universe. I understand his sovereign plan. He knows the orchestration of events. But somehow in this story, John brings out the humanity where like, it feels like Mary's going, no, no, why don't you just start tonight? And you know, there's certain things that you are only going to do depending on who asked you. You know what I'm talking about? Like there's, 
There's stuff that I'm not doing for anybody else in the world. My 10-year-old girl asked me with the right look and those big old eyes, I'm doing it every single time. And I think she knows that I'm doing it every single time or I'm buying it every single time. I told this story a few months ago, but you know, a lot of you weren't here, so I'll tell it again real quick. The best example of this is last year, she got heavily into ballet, really good, um, great job. And you know, my wife and I would take turns taking her to ballet practice. And so one Thursday, I drop her off because it was my night. And as I'm dropping her off, the um, overly eager ballet teacher was at the door um, who I love, and she's like, hey, it's exciting night. It's a parent-child ballet night. <laughs> and number one, that is not exciting news. And number two, you should have sent a flyer home because I wouldn't have been dropping her off tonight. <laughs> but this is my point. And my little girl stares up at me immediately, big old, daddy, you have to do ballet tonight. You have to do ballet tonight. So guess what I did for the next hour? Pirouettes and skipping across the gym floor and doing all kinds of other things over and over again. And again, if you weren't here to hear me tell this before, I, this is as much humility as I can muster, but I crushed it. I was incredible. But the only reason I did it, I mean, because even if my wife, hey, can we go do ballet? Hard no. I love you, but absolutely not. But because she's asking, this is a moment, and I don't know how it plays into all the events, but Mary's like, I'm out of wine. I need you to do something. And then I love what she says next, beginning of verse five. She really doesn't even wait for an answer. She just assumes Jesus is gonna do it. She's like, do whatever he says, he'll do it. Just do whatever he tells you to do. <laughs> beginning of verse five. And so there they are. And it says, verse six, nearby, after she says, do whatever he tells you to do, stood six water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing. And I don't know if you know the context, there are these ceremonial jars. I wish I could go into this more, but like they had so much meaning. And in their religious system, there was this whole very intricate system of how they would prepare for kind of worship or connection with God. And part of it was the ceremonial washing. They had to wash their hands, wash their feet. And so these basins were used for the ceremonial washing. It's basically bath water. That's what they poured out, washed their hands, washed their feet so that they could be ceremonial, ceremonially cleansed and ready for worship. So... She's like, nearby stood six water jars, which was used for the ceremonial washing, these basically bath basins, and each held about 20 to 30 gallons. And so Jesus, verse seven, said to the servants, all right, mom, you guys, fill the jars with water. Just, I, we're out of wine, I get it, everybody's panicking, we got a couple days left, fill the jars with water. Which, just real quick, because we love to over kind of romanticize Bible stories, was a ridiculous request. I mean, ridiculous. And just put yourself in that space for a second. Like if you've got to try to figure out what to do, you're part of serving the event, Mary's the one that's catering the whole thing. You want us to fill up bath water? I mean, what good is that gonna do? For some of you, like maybe you feel this. Like you got coerced into going to a wedding and the only reason you went is because there was an open bar and they ran out at 7.30 and you're like, I have never connected with a Bible story more. Like I feel this. There they are. And his disciples are thinking, what are we gonna do with this? Are, you, are we gonna start pouring bath water into long stem wine glasses thinking nobody's gonna notice? Like you just had to enter in for a second. It is an absolutely ridiculous request. And they're like, I guarantee you they've had just enough to drink so far that if we start serving this up, it is not gonna end well. But here's what they had no idea of. 
that everything Jesus did throughout the gospels, everything Jesus did in his ministry was a foreshadowing of everything he was gonna do. And they had no idea in this moment that this was foreshadowing what God would ultimately bring into the world. And it would foreshadow everything that was up ahead of them. He's, he's still gonna feed 5,000 with loaves and fish, if you know the story. He's still gonna call disciples to pull their nets over the side of the boat with a haul of fish that they can't even imagine out of nowhere. It makes no sense. He's gonna invite Peter to walk on the water. All of that is ahead of them. And what everything had in common, what every single one of those events had in common and all throughout Jesus' ministry had in common was this singular thing, that everything Jesus asked them to do initially was ridiculous. Made no sense, over their head, beyond their pay grade, but here's how I'm inviting you to participate. Because that's the second thing they all had in common, that one thing. Not only was it a ridiculous request, it was just a simple invitation, I am inviting you to be a part of what I'm about to do. And on the front end, you may not understand it. You can't connect the dots, but I want you to trust me. And over and over again, Jesus would invite them. And this is so important. This is the first night. This is the first moment with everything that Jesus is about to do, where he is inviting people to be a part of what he's introducing to the world. And think about this. The implications were staggering. They had no idea in that moment what hung in the balance. They had no idea what God was about to do. They had no idea, some of them, that that night were gonna take up his invitation. They had no idea where it was gonna lead their life. This is just the first moment where Jesus is going, listen, all I'm inviting you to do is participate with me. I'm about to do something crazy. I'm not even gonna tell you what I'm gonna do, but I'm inviting you to just do what you know to do, which is to take the bathwater pour it into these basins, and then I will do all of the rest. I want you to trust me. And Mary says, do whatever he tells you. I don't know everything, but I'm just telling you I know enough about my son that you're gonna wanna follow this guy. And so verse seven, they filled them to the brim. And they just got, I mean, like who are, like, who would do this? Oh, yeah, I, like, I'm out. I'm not gonna be involved in trying to serve this. I, I'll get, you know, beat down by an angry mom. I mean, imagine as they're, they're pouring out the bathwater going, what is he gonna do with this? How's this gonna solve the problem? And nobody's from Napa Valley there. Nobody's made wine. Nobody knows what they're doing. They're, they're pouring out bathwater to wash hands and feet. And in verse eight, then he told them, now, draw some of it out, <laughs> And take it to the master of the banquet, or the basically head waiter of the banquet. And I am hoping this didn't spill, but it did, because they, the magic trick is going to be getting this <laughs> glass out of here, because this is the most covered up prop I have ever seen in my life. All right, there we go. We got it. So they, they grab the bath water and he's like, draw it out, bring it to the head waiter. And again, I just want you to not Bible story this for a second. What, so, so we can get laughed at? So we can look like morons? So like, why, why would I put myself out there like that? And, and this is the case all throughout Jesus' ministry. And a couple of them are like, I'll do it. And they take the bath water, they pour it out, and they take it to this guy, this head waiter. And if you don't know the end of the story, you're like, oh my gosh, are you serious? 
But most of you know the end of the story. They take it to the waiter. And they start to pour it out. And just for a second. Nobody's raising the dead. Nobody's bringing sight to the blind. Like the lame aren't walking. But just put, this is the first time Jesus has ever kind of revealed himself. Imagine though if you are there in that moment and with your hands, you're pouring out bath water that just washed somebody's feet or is used for the ceremonial washing. And now as you're bringing it to the head waiter, suddenly you have wine. And you watch the whole thing go down and you bring it to the head waiter. And as you get there, the master of the banquet tastes it, not this, this will kill you, <laughs> tasted the water that had been turned into the wine. And then everybody goes crazy. Like this is, and, and you're the disciples or you're the guys that are serving, you're back in the corner and you're watching all this go down. You just poured it out. You're like, you have no idea. And everybody's losing their mind. Where'd you get this from? What label is this? Like what vineyard, who, who brought this wine? Where's this from? Footwater Farms? Like where did you get this stuff? And everybody's going nuts and the disciples are sitting back going, what in the world, if you guys only knew. And it says next, end of verse nine, they tasted the water that had been turned to wine, didn't realize where it had come from, though the servants who drew it knew exactly where it came from. And he called the bridegroom aside and said, hey, just real quick, come here. Everyone brings out the really good wine first, generally, when we do these parties. And then everybody has enough to drink to when then the cheaper wine comes out to the guests after they've had too much to drink. Like, you know, later in the evening, nobody knows it, but in the back, we're pouring out of a box. But here you are, and the best stuff you've got is coming out at the end of the night. And it says, these are really strategic words because nothing Jesus did was by accident. And nothing Jesus did was outside of his ultimate agenda that was beginning in these moments when it says, and these were prophetic words unbeknownst to the head waiter, but you have saved the best till right now. And God had as well. Because all throughout John, John makes it really clear that he doesn't actually call these miracles, he calls them signs. Because it was never about turning water into wine. It was never about the, the crazy things that would happen, these amazing displays that would awe people. It was about a sign that God had come to do something new. Amen. And in this moment, don't miss this, this was John's whole point, it is a foreshadowing that something new is here. I've come to do something new. I've saved the best till now. And what the world has waited for through Jesus has finally showed up on the scenes. And like tonight, I am inviting you to participate in something that I am doing for the entire world. That now I've come with a message for all of humanity. And you have been invited to participate. And I love this, study Jesus all throughout the gospels, all throughout the New Testament. Everywhere you see Jesus go, you see two types of people. Those who consumed and observed the miracles and those who participated in them. Like, and we get the difference, right? Like, there was a huge difference 
Later on, when Jesus would turn the, the loaves and the fish of a little boy into a lunch to feed 5,000, there was a difference between, between this salmon is incredible, this bread is incredible. How did they multiply this? There was a difference between that and being the one that your own two hands were used to multiply the miracle to thousands of people. There was a difference between being there that day and watching from a distance as the disciples pulled in more fish than you can even imagine after they had fished all night and they hadn't gotten anything. There was a difference between cheering on that miracle and being in the boat and throwing the nets overboard even though you look like an idiot and hauling in that miracle with your own two hands. There is a difference between looking at Peter walking out on the water and we always give him a bad rap because it doesn't end well. Dude walked on water. And 10 other guys stayed in the boat. There was a difference between looking at Peter and going, it's incredible, this dude is walking on water. That's different than feeling it with your own two feet. And all throughout Jesus' ministries, people consumed, people observed, people cheered it on, and then there were people who participated. And the same was true of that night. It's one thing to be like, this is incredible. Where'd you get this wine that looked like bath water in the back. You sure, like, what, what are you serving us? Like, I, I've never tasted anything like this. There's a difference between that and being in that moment where you just decide to do something ridiculous but easy to understand, and that was, I'm just gonna participate, pour the bath water out, I'm gonna do that, and your own two hands were used that night to begin a miracle that would become the catalyst for everything that Jesus would do over the next couple of years, and eventually, no overstatement, would change the world. And all throughout Jesus' ministry, you see this. And come on, on the other side of turning water into wine, it wasn't about how good the wine was. When they hauled in fish, it wasn't the fact that they just got a bunch of, you know, profit into their boat. When the the loaves were, you know, fed to 5,000 people, they weren't going to start a catering business. It wasn't about the miracle. Because when they got on the other side of being a part and participating in what God is doing supernaturally, they would never forget that moment and they would never be the same again. And the same is true of us. In fact... All throughout Jesus' ministry, thousands of people were invited and they consumed and they observed and we don't know their names. And then always a few people stepped in to participate and do ridiculous things and receive ridiculous invitations and decide to move even when they didn't understand. And they chose to follow Jesus and they changed the world. In fact, again, no no overstatement. A few years later, Jesus would stand on a hillside, probably 115 degrees. And you hear me say this all the time. They had no money. They had no influence. They couldn't vote. They had no power. They had nothing other than Jesus' command to love others the way he loved them. And Jesus stands on a hillside with maybe 120 people. And think about how ridiculous this was in the moment. And he said these words, I'm going to build my church. Literal translation, my movement of people, my ecclesia to the world. And despite the fact that everybody wants to kill you, and they will, Jesus could have added, and the fact that you don't have no, any money, you have no influence, you have no leverage, I'm gonna build my church and it's gonna start through you and it's gonna multiply to the world and the gates of death and hell are not gonna be able to stop it when it's on mission. Amen. Amen. And they didn't. And they won't. And they did exactly what Jesus said. They died for their faith, but they multiplied the miracle because they decided to participate and it changed the world. And so I just wanna tell you, whether you've ever been taught this or it's ever kind of gotten to the front end of your radar, if you're a follower of Jesus, 
in your generation, it's your turn. It's our turn. And you can underestimate that and you can push that aside and whatever, but, but literally Jesus would say in the New Testament after he made that statement that he would build his church, made it really clear that his church is the body of Christ. That literally the church is not a building, it's not a denomination, it's not a system. It is a group of people gathering in cities and communities around Jesus as the Christ, the son of the living God, and then in being invited in and receiving his invitation to participate. And he says, literally on planet earth, until I come back, you're gonna be the body of Christ. You're gonna rep me. You are going to be my church, which means everything that I wanna do to change families and communities and cities and regions are gonna happen through the local church, the body of Christ on mission, participating in what God is doing. And wherever you have been placed, it is your turn. It is our turn. And you have the choice of either observing and consuming or being a fan of or participating in what God is calling you to do, what God is calling us to do as the church in our generation. And I'll just promise you, the church, Jesus' church, becomes your church, my church, specifically this church becomes your church when you, in that moment, move from, I'm not just gonna observe, I'm not just gonna consume, I'm not just gonna golf clap at baptisms. I'm gonna participate. It's a pretty direct statement by Kevin Myers, but I think it holds. He's like, the purpose of the church if you're a follower of Jesus is not to make you a customer, it's to make you a waiter. It's to give your life away to serve, to participate to be a part of what God is doing in our generation. And I believe this with everything in me. If I can just be like really real for a second, one of the things that gets me, man, about me sometimes, but I think about the view of the local church in, in the West, where we live in the United States, wherever you wanna kind of pinpoint, is this idea that somehow in the first century, God was raising the dead and giving sight to the blind and calling up the lame to walk and commanding nature what to do and nature obeying it. And that somehow that was for that moment and that his power to heal and restore and to reconcile and move in cities and neighbors is somehow less than that. When Jesus walked out of a grave alive and then made his promise that he was gonna ascend into heaven. Here's what he said to every single follower of Jesus who'd be a part of the church. He's, he said, I'm going away, but I'm giving you something better now. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is gonna be inside of you. How dare you, 2,000 years later, limit my power? How dare you limit my ability to change whatever you think is too far gone? to reconcile whatever you think is too broken, to raise up whatever you think is too discouraged, to begin to restore whatever community you think is too far gone. I am a God that anchored in history, that I'm a God of resurrection, and then I made it clear for every generation that I would give you that same power. But what I'm willing to do in terms of showing off my power and flexing my muscle is in proportion to your willingness to participate and surrender to me. And so I just, I just wanna encourage us for a second because we've gotten lost, you know, getting ready for our next semester or all the stuff that we got going on at work that's overwhelming us and trying to raise our kids or you're trying to get a date right now or you're walking through stuff in your marriage and all the stuff that just consumes life. I just, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you don't have to do any of this right now. But if followers of Jesus, you have been call, called to participate.
It is your turn in your generation. And maybe we need to get back to the gospels for a while and just rotate Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John so that we can somehow regain our vision. That God has called and planted us, let's just talk about center point for a second, to change our city, to change our community, to give hope to people who thought they were too far gone a long time ago, to reconcile, to heal, to save by the power of Jesus that lives in us. That's why one of the things that I, I pray and talk about all the time with our staff is we will not pray any small prayers. And in this next decade, by God's grace, I believe that we're gonna change this region by God's glory because there are so many people unreached. And for whatever reason, he's given us a unique approach to ministry, extraordinarily talented leaders that is simply by his grace. And we're reaching people that nobody else is reaching. We have a responsibility and a stewardship to turn this region upside down with the gospel of Jesus. And it will happen in proportion to our willingness to lay down our lives and participate in what Jesus is inviting us into. And if that seems too daunting and over the top and uncomfortable for you, that's fine. Go somewhere where they have smaller vision and pray lesser prayers. We serve a God that walked out of the grave alive and has promised to build his church and we are his church. What in the world are we doing? So I just wanna, I just wanna encourage you on this one super practical thing because this is where it starts. And then it's gonna weave its way into so many other areas of your life. But I just wanna encourage you to participate and be a part of your local church. And the best way to do that is by starting with a step to volunteer somewhere. And we can diminish that. We can dismiss that. We can make that less than, I'm telling you, it's what Jesus has called us to. And eventually that's gonna bleed in over into what you do in your neighborhood and, and who you're friends with and, and, and what God wants to do in your workplace. This isn't like, this, this is gather for strength and to be light in cities and then scatter to be light and to change where God has placed us, wherever that is, whether that's in a boardroom or a drive-through window. But you've gotta start somewhere and you have been called as part of the body of Christ to participate. And from the very beginning, when we started our church, there's always been a group. There's always been those who consume and observe and clap and, and are fan. And then those who all in, like, I'm gonna be a part of this. And we started with 30 people and zero money and barely a building. There's a group of people who decided I'm gonna participate and I'm just gonna do what I know because it's way beyond me to, to try to create a an alternative to church as usual for all people, praying that God's spirit would move. We wanna create a church that would tear away every unnecessary barrier for people to find life and freedom in Jesus because many in our culture are not walking away from Jesus. They're walking away from the church that doesn't look like Jesus. And we're gonna step in to participate. And every single weekend, like on normal Sundays, where there, there are so many who are serving and investing, they get to be a part of the miracle. When true stories, when a mom is praying for her student, somehow God does something in her heart the first time they accept the invitation. They're actually gonna come on a Wednesday night and they're 16 and want nothing to do with church because it's boring out of their mind and we get all of that. Like that's just a normal kid, but she's praying, give it one more shot. Like you should just check it out and finally accepts the invitation and she is pleading with God that he's not gonna hate it. And fast forward a few months later, and he's going public with his faith through baptism and serving every single Sunday because there were people rather than just hand clap and observe, decided I'm gonna invest everything in the next generation, even if it requires sacrifice. And I get to be a part of the miracle. 
It's a, a family who left church and they felt like they had to leave church. And they still love Jesus, but they didn't love the church anymore. And I get it. And we're invited by friends and these friends were just hoping they'd connect in a different way. And they're like, it's an alternative. You should just check it out. I think it might be different. And they came in a few weeks ago. They just said this line, this has restored my faith and my vision in the local church. And we are so excited that our kids get to grow up here when we thought we were done with it forever. Because there's a group of people who don't just observe, they've decided we're gonna create a different kind of church in our community. And you get, I'm not, you get to be a part of the miracle. You get to participate in that. Or somebody who wakes up on a Sunday morning and that's the morning where they just can't go on anymore. Like, that's it. And somehow, they remember an invitation from a mom in another state and they show up. And in a conversation with me, with tears in their eyes, talk about in a way they don't understand, but I understood it because I believe it was the power of the Spirit of God in them that that morning physically saved their life. Because there's a group of people who decided we're not just gonna observe, we're not just gonna consume, we're actually gonna create a place that's the safest place in the world for anybody who's struggling with anything. Or, or it's, it's a, a lady, a friend of mine who'd been praying for her husband who's agnostic for a decade and wanted nothing to do with any of it. And finally he said, yeah, I'll go one more time. And she felt the weight of it because she, in her words, felt like this was literally the last shot. And if God doesn't do something, now it's over. And she prayed and she cried and she pleaded and he came. And that coming, that invitation, those tears of pleading began a catalytic moment of a journey with Jesus. And I just don't wanna overstate it because I say this all the time, but I'm gonna say it again. It's why when we gather as a church, especially our vision as a church, nobody parks cars here. When people drive on, we answer the one question everybody cares about, which is not even what you believe initially. It's do you care? And we want a resounding yes to our community that we care because Jesus cares. We do not just sit in small groups so you can consume dessert. Some of you, that's what you do. That's not the purpose. It's so we gather in circles and community and we let people know in life on life, there's hope for your marriage. God can transform your life. There's more than what you're walking through because I've been there. And we don't just tolerate or babysit kids or change diapers. We anchor the gospel in their heart that God's love is relentless, unending, and it never runs out. And they may not need it now, but it may be the anchor that they need when they're 25 and they're tempted to walk away and the doubts seem too big. And come on, we are not, I say this all the time, tolerating students here. We have invested and leaned everything we have in our church toward the next generation unapologetically because as the next generation goes, so goes the church. And this generation of students has unique challenges unlike any other generation. And we believe that they are worth everything and that the church on mission, when we actually care and give our lives away, we have answers to those unique challenges in Jesus. And come on, let's just be real for a second. Hundreds of thousands of, of those who are in that place are deconstructing their faith. But in many cases, they're not deconstructing Jesus. They're deconstructing a version of the church that looks nothing like Jesus. And you have been called, you have been called, you have been called as a follower of Jesus in our generation, in our city to change that, to step in, to participate, to go, we're the body of Christ. 
We represent Jesus in our community. He promised, I'm gonna build my church. And no matter how ridiculous we look, no matter how bad church history is, and it's bad, no matter how many idiot Christians you've run into, there will always be a remnant that will move from consuming and observing to pouring out the bathwater going, I can't do this. This is beyond me. But you're a God who raised yourself from the dead so you can do anything. So heal our community, restore my marriage, save my neighbors, do something in this sphere way above and beyond me because that's what we have been called to. And if we experience anything less, it's because we have not fully initiated to take the step to participate in all that God wants to do because he didn't do it in the first century. And now somehow his power is lessened in 2023. He is waiting and he is ready and he will move in proportion to our willingness to participate in this time and in this space wherever God has placed you. And so, as I end, I just want to encourage you to do this. I want to encourage you to participate. And this is such a like street level, super practical. But I'm just telling you, this is the first step for many of us. And as we enter a new ministry season and many who are out and traveling, we've seen God do so much this summer. It's gonna really get going these next few weeks as we head into August, September. God is doing something special through this gathering of people in our city and community. And I want you to be a part of that. So here's what you can do. For some of you, you're not sure, and I get that. So here's all I'm asking you to do. This may be your first step is I'm asking for one hour. Next week is what we call Discover Your Place. It happens during both services. You, child care built in, you, no, nothing extra you have to attend. Just come during one of those services. If you're the 11, you can go to the 11. Follow the signs, the next steps, one hour and discover your place. And we're gonna talk about how to connect you um, in ministry and in service and in volunteering here. And then when you get done, Nobody's gonna ask you to do anything crazy. You don't have to sign anything. You can just walk out and go, great information, not doing any of that. Fine, that's great. Just give us one hour and then you can go on with the rest of your life. You don't have to do anything with it. But you just owe it to you to give that hour, discover your place next week. And then for some of you, many of you, you're, you're ready to take that step. And so if you're ready to take that step, take it. Go to the app, don't talk yourself out of it because you'll get home and you'll get busy and you'll get tired and you'll take a nap later and be like, that's just too much. Do it now. In fact, we'll, I'll tell you about it in a second. We provide a place where you can get a question or two answered as you go out, but, but take a step and we'll help direct you. Here's what I'll promise you. It's gonna be highly organized. You're gonna be connected with people. They're gonna tell you exactly what you need to know, but not too much. We're not gonna overwhelm you. We're gonna actually show you what to do. It's, gen, it's on a rotation basis. So if you've never done this before, you have the idea, well, they just serve every week, every service. Nope, nobody does that but it's a rotation basis. If you're scared, like they're gonna place me in the wrong place, like I have no personality, they're gonna put me in kids. No, we won't. We'll be able to weed out if you have no personality. We're not gonna put you in kids. We care too much about the next generation. But you, you've got to take a step. Like I had no idea in receiving that invitation to speak to 50 middle schoolers. And I'm not, you don't need to get scared. I'm not saying God's gonna ask you to speak somewhere. But I had no idea what God was gonna do. And it's no overstatement. It was catalytic in my life. And I did, seriously, even if it's not here, you owe it to you to move from consuming and observing to participating. And when you do, suddenly it becomes personal that what Jesus is inviting us into, his church, your church, becomes so personal. It gets your time, your energy. And for some of you, real quick, I gotta say, online, thousands of people via unfiltered radio, you're watching right now. For some of you, it's such a lifeline. I'm so grateful for this, that avenue to be able to watch and participate. And so for some of you, it's, it's the only way that you can connect. I'm so grateful for that. And then there's others of you, love you, 
that it's kind of time to move from observing and consuming. And maybe you've stepped a while away because you needed a break and now the break is three, four years long. It's time to move from observing, consuming to participating, to being in the house, to using your hands, your feet, what God's given you to participate in what God is doing in our city and community. And so I wanna invite you back because following Jesus is synonymous with participating in what Jesus has invited us into. And I just don't think, this is just my life, I don't know. I, God's called me to a lot of incredible things. I love raising my kids, being the best husband I can to my wife, um, working on a hobby farm right now, which is another story I'll tell later on if you don't follow us on social media. There's a lot of stuff going on in our life. I love it. But man, besides like, you know, my calling and loving my kids and trying to be a husband to my wife, I don't know that there's anything more significant that I've done with my life to pour out my life than, than investing in what is close to the heart of God, which is his church. And I've never, this is just me personally, maybe you have a different story, but I've never regretted just doing what Mary said. I love her words. Just do whatever he tells you. You, you should just try living your life that way for a while. Just do whatever he tells you. And you have no idea what God might do on the other side of your willingness to just go, I'm in. I don't know what you're gonna do with this. I don't know how you turn bathwater into wine, but I'm in. I'm gonna participate and I'm gonna trust you to do the rest. Would you guys pray with me? Jesus, I thank you for what you're doing in this moment. I thank you that your word is living, it's powerful. It can jump and power through any of our excuses, the things that we're hung up on. And I just pray for some of us, you would do that. I pray for others of us. Honestly, our experience with the church has not been a good one. My only prayer for them is that you would just lead them maybe a step closer to actually seeing who you really are, Jesus, and what you're offering. And it might be really, really different than what they've experienced most of their life. And so I, I pray that for them. And for others of us, we've been in this for a while. Maybe we're a little bit comfortable. Man, I pray as an act of your grace, you would make us uncomfortable. And you'd move us to not get two decades down the road and wish we could go back, but we would fully step into our calling, your will for our life, and we'd participate in what you're doing in this moment of time. And so God, as a church, we are praying big. We are believing big. We don't think you're done doing miracles and turning cities and neighborhoods and families upside down. So we're gonna pray and dream in proportion to that. And my prayer is that we would begin to participate in proportion to that. And so do your thing in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this message or have been impacted by Centerpoint Church in any way, would you consider helping us out in one of two ways? First, if you would just spread the word, share this message with your friends, family. Maybe you could go rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher, but this helps us so much more than you know. And secondly, this ministry is supported by people like you through their financial generosity. And so if you've been impacted by any of these messages, would you consider giving to support the mission and vision of Centerpoint to see people reach with the radical grace of Jesus? You can give today on our website at centerpointfl.org. And again, that's centerpointfl.org.